If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to the book of Luke, last chapter in the book of Luke, Luke 24. We'll be in chapter 24 for this week and next week, and we will finish up chapter 24, and then we'll see what happens. We may do a sermon rooted in the entire book of Luke, just sort of recapping what we've looked at, and we may not. I'm not sure yet, so we'll see what happens. Um, But Luke 24, and we'll be in verses 36 through 49 this morning. At the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, if you've read the book or maybe seen the movies, there's this point at which Sam Wise, Sam Gamgee, wakes up after one of the darkest days of his life, if not one of the darkest days of, of anyone's life in that world up to that point, and he sees his friend Gandalf, who he had watched, he presumed, die many, many days beforehand. And he sees that he is alive and well, and in fact the whole world is is still intact. And he says to Gandalf, he says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. And he says, but then I thought I was dead myself. And he asks this wonderful question, he says, is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? What a great phrase that Tolkien put in there, is everything sad going to come untrue? I think maybe that's partly how the disciples felt as they were waking up from the dream of Jesus' death and they see him alive and they say, I thought you were dead. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And as they they look, they see him risen. It's as if, and we'll see this in the passage passage today, it's as if it's too good to be true. We've all had that experience of something being too good to be true. It's so so great that we can't even believe that it's happening to us. We talked last week actually about um, failed expectations, where we expect something to happen and then we're disappointed how hard that is to take. But sometimes we we expect something to happen and and we're disappointed and then things turn back for the good and we can't believe that that things are going to go the way they're supposed to. So maybe you get a phone call from an employer and they say, you know, sorry, we're looking at other options, we're not going to hire you, and then... Later that afternoon, they call you back and say, actually, we had a mix-up and, you know, we'd like to offer you the job. So you thought it was terrible and now it's actually really great. Or maybe, you know, you were scheduled to go on vacation and you thought, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to go because of this, that, or the other. And then the situation changes and you had prepared yourself to say, it's all over, I can't go on this vacation. And now you can and it's, it's almost too good to be true. Things change for the better and we can hardly believe it. And as we look at the disciples this morning, I think much of that is going on in their hearts. We find this appearance of Jesus where he comes and he assures the disciples that he has risen and then he sends them on this this mission. And I think the word for us this morning is is this, that the, the resurrected Jesus comes and he assures us of what is true and then he sends us out as as witnesses. Jesus assures us of what is true. And sends us out as witnesses. So when we last last left the disciples, remember these two men, one of them named Cleopas, who had been on walking and talking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, but didn't know that they were walking and talking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Now they they come and um, they they walk into the room and they receive this report that that Jesus had appeared to Peter. That's the first thing they see if you look back a little bit there in verse. Um, 34, they say, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to to Simon. This is a unique appearance to Peter that we don't read about anywhere else. It's 
It's it's just here and we see it. We read about it actually in 1 Corinthians 15. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, what does Paul say? It says that he appeared first to Peter and then to the rest of the disciples. And that's this appearance here. This is in fact where we get our phraseology, you know, on, on Easter when we say the Lord has risen, he has risen, and then everyone responds and says, he has risen indeed. And that's right here, the Lord has risen indeed. And I was looking at some stuff, and there's some traditions that it, it's they say the Lord has risen indeed, and the response is, and has appeared to Simon. That's what people say in response. Isn't that interesting that this appearance to Simon is so key that he truly has risen? So these two guys come back, remember, on the road to Emmaus. They hear that he has appeared to Simon, and then they share their story about how they had walked and talked with Jesus, didn't recognize him. Then he breaks the bread, and they see that it's him, and then what happens to Jesus? Poof, he's gone. He, He vanishes before their eyes. And this is all happening, remember, the same day this is happening, uh, on the Sunday that he rose from the dead. The women had been there in the morning. These men had been with him walking on the road to Emmaus in the afternoon. Now the sun has set, it's evening, and they're in the upper room. And we pick up the story in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The resurrected Jesus assures us of what is true and sends us out as witnesses. So verse 36, again we pick up the story. They're talking about these things. And Jesus is again standing among them. Kind of likes this surprise thing, doesn't he? That you know he did this to the guys on the road to Emmaus, and now he's he's there in their midst, and they don't even know it yet. So right away we see that something amazing is happening with Jesus, even beyond just the resurrection. There's something unique. He he had been on the road to Emmaus, walking and talking with these two guys. He appears to Simon. He's he's with them on the road to Emmaus. He disappears all of a sudden. And now he's appearing in the upper room. Uh, John makes a point in, in the parallel passage in John 20, 19 through 23. That's, that's a good one to read this afternoon maybe. John 19, or 20, 19 to 23 is the parallel. And, and John says the door was locked. He wants to be clear that something unique is happening here, that Jesus appears in this room. He's sort of passing through walls. And he's appearing and disappearing whenever and wherever he, he wants. So something unique is going on here. He's there, he's in the room, and he suddenly says, Peace to you. It's a common greeting, but, but a unique greeting in this context, isn't it? 
peace to you. And their response is anything but peaceful, isn't it? What's it say? That they are startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. It's the time of year for um, for haunted houses. I don't know if you've seen any of these pictures going around where they capture someone in the moment where the, the scariest part of some haunted house is. They don't show you what they're looking at, but you see their face and sort of what's going on. Uh, you know, That's not really unlike what's going on here, because what do they say? They think that this is a spirit. They think it's a ghost. They don't immediately think that this is Jesus in a resurrected body. They assume that this is simply his spirit, maybe kind of like uh, in the Old Testament when Samuel is conjured up, remember, before Saul, um, maybe something like that. But they, they, don't, they don't believe. So again, just remember, the disciples are the first skeptics, okay? The disciples are the first ones that don't believe. We always give Thomas a hard time. The reason we give Thomas a hard time is because he wasn't here, John tells us in this particular instance, so Jesus shows up later. But they're here and they doubt as well because they, they think he's just a spirit. Um, they'd heard from Peter. They'd heard from Cleopas. They've probably heard from Mary at this point, but still, uh, I don't know. We just think it's a spirit. So Jesus, he knows the hearts of all people. He knows what they're thinking. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart. And I can almost see Peter and the two that had been on the road to Emmaus kind of smiling in the background because they've sort of gone through this whole thing already and they maybe have a little more faith than these other guys, but they still don't believe. And so Jesus, in an act of, of kindness, I would say, offers his hands and offers his feet and says, look, look at, look at my body. I want you to see that it's really me. He asked them to... Uh, it's interesting, he says, um, he says, see my hands and my feet, verse 39, that it is I myself, touch me and see. So he wants them to, to see with their eyes, but he also wants them to see with their hands. Touch me. You'll see that it's, that it's truly me. But in the text, they still disbelieve, don't they? And while they were still disbelieving, but now why are they disbelieving? For joy. Because they are so overjoyed. It's this... This is too good to be true. This cannot be happening. They're, they're marveling at him. Their mouths are wide open. They can't figure out what to make of all of this. And so Jesus, again in kindness, offers another evidence. What's this evidence? He says, do you have anything to eat? And we're told that they gave him a piece of fish. Not just a piece of fish, but a piece of broiled fish. I love that detail because that's the detail of an eyewitness, isn't it? It's not just that they gave him fish, they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And so I can see Luke sort of talking with the witness that he had met, whoever it may have been that was there, and they tell their tale, and they're kind of like, you know, he asked for a piece of fish, and, you know, Andrew had just broiled some for us, we were getting ready to eat, and so we grabbed a piece and, and gave it to him, and, and he ate it, and we knew that it was him, that it wasn't a spirit. I mean, who's ever heard of a spirit eating a piece of a fish? We knew this was actually him. Total side note here, but I told Andrea yesterday, I think we should eat fish on Easter. Doesn't that make sense? That this is sort of the first meal that they have on, on Easter. Some of you like that idea, and some of you hate that idea. Um, don't take away my ham, right? Um, e- either way, I just think there's, there's some unique symbolism. There's something amazing going on here, that he's eating a piece of fish. And so let's kind of take a, let, let's get one first sort of main point we'll sort of hang our hat on. From this, this is sort of the third scene in Luke 24, and we'll say this: Jesus verifies his resurrection. 
Jesus verifies his resurrection. Now, we've kind of been going over this, and I don't want to belabor the point, but I want, but Luke is writing, and I want to, I want to do what Luke says. Why is Luke writing? So that we would have certainty about the things that he's saying. And he wants us to know that what he's saying about Jesus is true. He's calling us to believe. And I appreciate this, because I want to know that this is real. I appreciate Jesus' willingness to show his wounds to the disciples. You know, if I was going to go skydiving, I would want to know that it's a reputable company that's done this before. I'd want to see the parachute in my backpack and know that it's that it's real. If I'm going to go in for surgery, I want to know that my doctor has experience, that she didn't print her her certificate or her, her diploma off of the Internet. I want to know that she's done this before before I let them operate on me. And so if I'm going to give my life to Jesus, if I'm going to believe this, I want to know that it's real. And so I appreciate this, and we should hang on to these things. The, the New Testament authors are okay with this. They say in, in 2 Peter 1.16, this is what Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter's saying, we didn't make this stuff up. I saw it with my own eyes. And we read in 1 John. Did you hear that when we read for, when Joel read 1 John? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. I think he's thinking about this moment, maybe, concerning the word of life, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. And Luke, he takes us into the upper room as the skeptical disciples are finally convinced that Jesus was truly resurrected so that we can have certainty about these things. With eyes of faith, we can see his wounds. We can hear his voice. Luke wants us to know something specific, too, about the resurrection, and it's that it was a physical, bodily resurrection. There's a huge emphasis on the fact that Jesus was not just a spirit. He was physically resurrected. This is important because there's those that say Jesus was spiritually resurrected, right? That that's, I believe in a resurrection, that Jesus was spiritually resurrected, that, that he's resurrected in, in the hearts and the lives of those that, that believe in him. Can you imagine talking to Luke and saying that? Yeah, Luke, I read your gospel and, and I see Jesus is resurrected. It was a spiritual sort of resurrection that happens in the hearts of those that believe. I think Luke would say, did you read what I wrote? Because I tried to be really specific that he was physically raised. I mean, the whole eating fish thing and touching him, he was a physical body present with us. Not, not only that, but this is not an apparent resurrection. So some would say that Jesus fainted or swooned on the cross, and then the coldness of the tomb sort of woke him up a little bit later. But, but there's no evidence of pain or, or um, that, that he's continuing to heal from the anguish that he would have experienced on the cross, but rather he just he has scars that, that have healed, as it were. This is a resurrected body. It's similar to the one that was crucified, but it's also very different. But it's also, it is his body. It's, it's not someone else's body. There wasn't the, the switch that some people talk about, that maybe, you know, Simon, when he carried the cross, Jesus sort of slipped off into the background, and it was Simon that got crucified. No, that's not, that's not what happened, because he has the scars to show that it was really him. This is his body. This is Jesus. So just, again, Jesus verifies his resurrection. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was crucified. He was physically raised from the dead. 
And Luke writes all of these things to verify the truthfulness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can have confidence that this is real. It's not a fairy tale. That's not all he's saying, though. Jesus verifies the resurrection. But second, Jesus foreshadows the future. Jesus foreshadows the future. I'm not sure if you heard about it. It was hard to miss. A lot of talk this week about Back to the Future 2. Right? The 21st was the day. And uh, they talked about what were the predictions that Back to the Future 2 got right. And for the most part, eh, you might be able to stretch it and say they got a few things right. Sadly, their prediction about the Cubs winning the World Series was dead wrong, um, which is okay, I guess. But um, Jesus is going to predict something about the future physically in this presence, and it's, it's sure. This is, this is what's going to happen. He's modeling something for us. So you look at Jesus here, and we can tell that it's, that it's truly Jesus, but there's something different going on here, isn't there? He's, he's, remember, he's vanishing, he's reappearing in, in locked rooms. In a little while, he's going to ascend into the clouds. He looks and he sounds like Jesus, but he's also able to keep people from recognizing him. He has a physical body with the scars of the crucifixion, but there's something unique happening here. Of course, Jesus isn't the first person to raise to be raised from the dead, is he? I mean, there's other people that were raised from the dead. Can can anyone name someone else that was raised from the dead? Lazarus is the first one that comes to mind. Is there more than just Lazarus? Tabitha, okay. The the boy. There was a, a boy. There was a, a young girl. Jairus's daughter is raised from the dead. Uh, in Luke, there's the young man who. Uh, his mother was a widow and he had died. Remember, Jesus raised his So there's other people that are raised from the dead. What eventually happens to those people? They die again. So they're raised up and they have the same body with renewed life in it, but then they will die again. That is not what's going on here. There's something unique about the body of Jesus, that this is his glorified, resurrected, new body. Now, the emphasis I want us to take away from this is that this is a prediction, as it were, of what will come for those who are followers of Jesus. That we will receive a resurrected new body like Jesus. You know, we could think about what this body will be like, um, whether our glorified bodies will be able to fly or walk through walls or appear and and disappear you know we can get into speculation but that's all it would be is is speculation but what we know for sure is that the hope of the christian is not to be some sort of disembodied spirit what is jesus when he comes back he's physically resurrected the hope for the believer the hope for the christian is not to be some ethereal spirit floating in the clouds if that's the vision of heaven that you have it, it may not be very exciting for you to think about that that seems a little Strange. But what is Jesus? He is a physically resurrected body. And Jesus, Paul says, is the first fruits of the resurrection. Which means that because Jesus is risen, it guarantees that we will be raised if we believe in him. But it also previews what it will be like. So when we think about the new heavens and the new earths, we should not imagine that we are angels with wings. That's, that's not what we will be. We will not be transparent ghosts of some kind that revisit earth as Hollywood talks about. Rather, we're going to be very much like we are now. Physical bodies, without the weight of sin, without the pain of sin, 
and without the possibility of death. We will be like Adam and Eve before the fall. But even better, we'll be resurrected, we will be new. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, another great chapter to study in conjunction with these things, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, perishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So I, I find this encouraging because there's not a complete disconnect between our physical life now and our resurrected life to come. That, that in the future, in the new heavens and the new earth, we will work. We will eat, I think. I don't know, Jesus ate. We, we will live and we will have physical bodies in a physical space. Of course, it will also be extremely different. And it's hard to totally know exactly what it will be like. But I think the way that we live now, in some sense, prepares us for that day. It's not totally disconnected, but rather that we live now, and one day we will live again in this new place where we won't be burdened by sin, we won't be burdened by death, we won't be burdened by sickness, but we will still be these physical bodies. That's the hope that we have as believers. I think that that would, would also just sort of gives us a longing for the future state that we can that we can relate with, that we can understand. I can't understand what it would be like to be an angel or some sort of disembodied spirit. But I can think about what it would be like to have a physical body that never gets tired, that will never die, that never gets sick, to live in a world where you know, part of the curse is that, that work is hard and that there's toil and there's weeds, to live in a world where that's not an issue. Imagine having a garden where you don't have to worry about weeds. That's why I don't have a garden, because of weeds. I'd have a garden if there were no weeds. I mean, think about, we can relate to that, and there's a hope, and there's a a beautiful new heavens and new earth that we have to look forward to with a new body. And Jesus previews that. Jesus foreshadows the future. Well, in our passage then, after he eats this fish... Things seem to sort of calm down. The reality of what's going on sinks in. And Jesus begins to teach in the upper room. So Jesus verifies that that he is risen. He previews the future. He foreshadows the future. And then Jesus opens the scriptures and our minds, we could say. Jesus opens the scriptures and our minds. This is the greatest parallel to Emmaus. Doesn't he do the same thing? Uh, On the road to Emmaus, he opens up the Old Testament scriptures. And here again... He, he tells everything that's written about him in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. So all the Old Testament scriptures. How interesting. Jesus is physically present. And what does he do? He teaches from the scriptures. The word of God incarnate is there. And he takes up the word of God to explain who he is. That's why we study the Bible every week, isn't it? I mean, it was enough that the resurrected Jesus said, I'm going to teach from the scriptures, even the Old Testament scriptures. And so too for us, this is a revelation of who God is. The word of God, the Bible speaks with authority and with the authority of God himself. Even now, as scriptures are open, he speaks to us through them. We should pray, Jesus, I love that that phrase, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Isn't that a wonderful prayer? Jesus Open my mind to understand the scriptures. Let's pray that often. 
he opens them up and not only shows how they speak about what has happened, but also spell out what's to come for the disciples. So he shows them in the Old Testament, first of all, that the Christ would suffer and rise. See that there it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He shows that that is true, that that was planned. We said this last week, it could have been general themes, it could have been specific passages relating to the crucifixion and the resurrection. But we see that the the cross, the suffering of Jesus, and the resurrection to come are spoken of through the Old Testament. That, that this is not an afterthought, but this was part of God's plan for Jesus. And I think Jesus knew these scriptures before it all happened, don't you? That he knew these predictions, and that's part of what brought peace and comfort to him in the midst of going through them. He knew the hope of the, of the resurrection. I think that helps us to think about our own suffering and our own trials, that we can take solace in this, that, that the, the suffering and the difficulties and the resurrection to come were planned out in the Old Testament scriptures, that God is sovereign over that. And so too with us, that the suffering and the pain that we face is not accidental. It's not just something that sort of is happenstance in our lives, but it's orchestrated by our Father for our good, and there's a hope of resurrection that is to come, both now and even in the age to come. So God is sovereign over all things, and he's leading, leading our lives. If life is random and haphazard, then I'm just going to try to make the best of every situation. I don't know why this happened, but it happened, and so I'm just going to do the best. But, but if I know that Christ is in control of my life, orchestrating things for my good and for his glory, then I'm going to work towards that, and I'm going to take everything, and I'm going to know that he's, he's doing good for me. He's working all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purposes. I was thinking about this. I was out running yesterday in the rain with the leaves, and I was thinking about the death of fall. And we can watch that happen, sort of the, the beauty of fall that is actually the death of everything. So everything is slowly dying. And we can see that there's purpose in all of that. We can see the snow. There's probably going to be snow this year. I don't know. There was the past two years. But we can see the snow on the ground. And we can know that, that spring is coming. There's hope for the future. I think in many ways that we can look at our lives and we can see we can see that things are dying. And we can see that, that death often reigns and that things are difficult. And it's, it's cold and it's frigid in our lives sometimes. And it's painful. But we know that, that there's a purpose to it. That, there's a, that, that God is working things out for our good. That this is not just random. It happens. It's according to plan. And that there is hope for resurrection. I think Paul taps into that a little bit in Romans 8. Let me read a, an extended part of Romans 8, beginning in verse 18. This speaks not only that we are waiting for redemption, but that creation itself is, and we know that we're plotting towards something, and that gives us comfort, that there's a plan. Romans 8, beginning in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So the, the hope of glory to be revealed gives him hope in the midst of suffering. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, 
We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. The hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. I just think there's hope here. This is all spelled out and it brings resurrection and new life. And the same is true for our lives. That the pain and the suffering that we face now, that there is a spring that is coming when new life will continue and it will reign. So Jesus opens our minds and opens the scriptures. He shows that, that the Christ must suffer and rise. And then he shows that repentance and forgiveness would be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Repentance and forgiveness would be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So there's a message that's being proclaimed. The resurrection is not a historical event. It's it's a message to proclaim. It's not something that we just look back to. It's something that we continue to talk about and continue to see worked out. The nature of this message, he says, is that it's a message of repentance. It's a call to repentance, to turn from sin and to turn to Christ. And he shows that in the Old Old Testament scriptures, that repentance is nothing new, that that's the pattern that God has used all throughout history. We just read the family, our family just read the story of Jonah last night. And we read about how Jonah comes and says that Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And what do the people of Nineveh do? They repent. And God turns from his anger. They repent, they turn from their sin, they fast, and they seek the Lord. And the message of Jesus is, is no different. It calls us to turn from sin, to forsake wickedness, to admit our rebellion against God, our failure and our inability to live up to his standards of righteousness, to see sin, to recognize it, and to turn from sin. It's a message of repentance. That's the message we proclaim every week. Turn from sin. Turn. God God has good things planned for his people. Turn away from sin. Stop! The, I love the Jesus Storybook Bible again. It says, stop running away from God and run to Him instead. That's repentance. Don't run away from God anymore. That's what we want to do in our sinful hearts. But the message of Jesus that He sends us out to proclaim is, no, run to God instead. Why? Because it's not just a message of repentance. It's an offer of forgiveness. That repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. It's forgiveness that's in his name. That's how we know forgiveness. That we, If we turn from sin and we trust in Christ, his death and his resurrection, what happens? We are forgiven of our sins. Again, I just keep thinking about how, how Luke is bringing things to a close and how he said this in Zechariah's prophecy. Zechariah looks at John the Baptist, his little child, and says, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the message of Jesus, that if we would turn from sin and repentance and come in faith to Christ, he offers us forgiveness. And who is the message to? To all nations. It's to all nations. This is something that Luke has been emphasizing over and over. Now it's on the lips of Jesus. It's a message that is to all nations. And Jesus shows this from what? From the Old Testament Scriptures. Surely he went to the Abrahamic Covenant. That the, that the blessings for Abraham were, were for all nations. Not just for the Jewish people. 
it's going to start in Jerusalem, but it's going to spread. And Luke is just, man, he knows what he's going to write next. He's, he maybe has the outline of Acts ready to go because he, he knows I'm going to talk about how this gospel has gone from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and now it's spreading all over the world to all nations, and all people are turning in repentance and coming and receiving forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. All nations. Boy, that's the same message, isn't it? That The message of the gospel is not an American message. It's, it's not for one nation. It is for all people everywhere that there's one way to return to the Father, to repent of sins, find forgiveness in Jesus alone. It's a message that's for all nations. And so he sends us as witnesses. This I wanted to say this as a last point, and then we will pick up here next time because there's just too much to say. But then Jesus sends us as spirit-empowered witnesses. So there's a message to proclaim, and then Jesus sends us as spirit-empowered witnesses. Now he sends the disciples, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of the, my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Very briefly, the promise of the Father is the Spirit that's going to come in and enable them to preach this message. But he says, you are witnesses. You've seen these things, and now you need to tell people about it. You need to proclaim this message. It's not something that you would hold in and of yourself, but you would proclaim it to the world. And Jesus sends us. You might say, well, I'm not a witness. I wasn't there. I didn't see it. But we are. This is, as Peter says, the prophetic word made more sure. And if you have come to believe with eyes of faith, just as the disciples did, that Jesus was crucified and resurrected, if you have turned in repentance and come to know the forgiveness of sins that is found through faith in Jesus, you are a witness of these things. We are sent in the power of the Spirit to proclaim them to the world, to our families and to our co-workers and to our neighborhood. Isn't that why we're still here? Why doesn't Jesus just take us if, we're, if it's all about us receiving forgiveness of sins? No, he says there's a message that needs to be proclaimed to all nations. And so we want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of that in our neighborhood. We want to think about ways that we can be a part of that in the world to get the gospel to all nations. But may God, even in our hearts now, help us to see that maybe there's people I need to be telling, turn from sin. Jesus offers forgiveness. That's what we're going to do as a church. And so I would just say that even now. Have you turned in repentance to Jesus? Have you found the forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ alone? There is no other way. But it's a way that is open to all people. Jesus has died. He has been risen again. We'll see next week that he has ascended and he is returning again to resurrect those that are his followers so that they will be with him in the new heavens and the new earth for all eternity. But unless we repent, unless we believe, we will not know forgiveness of sins. And we will pay the penalty for our sins for all eternity. Don't go that route. Turn. Turn from sin. Turn to Christ and know forgiveness. The resurrection of Jesus signals that everything sad is coming untrue. And next week we will see that the ascension of Jesus points to the day when that will be even more fully realized, when he will come again and fully reign on earth. Until that day, we are called to be witnesses. Witnesses of the truth of the resurrection and the resurrection that will come for all who would come to God as he opens his word and opens our minds, helps us to 
to see the truth of the resurrection, to see the future that is for those who would believe in Him. May we be witnesses to whoever God would bring across our paths. Let's take a moment of, of silence and reflect on God's Word. And then I will close this in prayer. Lord Jesus, we come and worship you as the one who is king over death. Lord, you have defeated Satan, you have defeated sin, you have defeated the final enemy of death. You are resurrected, Lord, we we believe it. We believe what Luke has written. We believe what is written in the scriptures. We, We believe it by faith, God. Thank you for opening our eyes to see the truth that Jesus has died, he has resurrected, he has ascended. Lord, we look forward to the day when we will have a new body, a new resurrected body, even as as you do, even now in heaven as you sit at the right hand of the Father. Lord, we long for that day. Give us strength even now. Help us to see your plan and your purpose, even in the hard things of this life. Help us to see the resurrection that happens in this life and to long for the resurrection that is to come. God, give us strength. Give us hope. Lord, help us to be witnesses. If you've opened our eyes to these things, help us to speak with boldness and and trust, Lord, that you will open the minds and the hearts of others. We are so dependent upon you to save, Lord, but you have called us to be faithful and to be witnesses. Help us not to, to miss that opportunity. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonderful witness that it is. Thank you that everything sad has come untrue and is continuing to come untrue in Jesus. Pray it all in his name. Amen.